Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Zechariah, the sixth chapter. And this is the last of the ten visions of Zechariah, beginning with the first chapter. In the first chapter, you had the red horse rider among the myrtle trees, and then the four horns. We had that in the first chapter, and the four carpenters in the first chapter. Chapter two, we had the fourth one of these visions was the man with a measuring line, uh, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, Jehovah's servant the branch. Sixth vision was uh, in chapter three, Jehovah's servant in the branch. And then chapter four, we had the golden candlestick and the olive trees. In chapter five, we had the flying, 30 foot flying roll. And we also had in chapter 5 the ephah, bushel basket, you might say, in chapter 5. That was the ninth one. And then in chapter 6, we have the last of these visions. If you'd like those, I can repeat them to you after the service is over and give you those uh, verses that they pertain to. But in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, we have the four chariots. And in this sixth chapter also, we're going to have verses 9 through Fifteen, the crowning of the high priest. There's two things in this uh, sixth chapter. Two things. We have the four chariots, the last of the visions, the four chariots. And then we also have in this sixth chapter the crowning of the high priest. The four chariots was verses 1 through 8, and the crowning of the high priest, verses 9 through 15. That's the whole of this chapter, divided into two parts. Probably that's what we'll be able to study tonight. We've seen a lot of things in these visions of Zechariah, and most of them are partly self-explanatory, and then part of it you have to go into the prophecies that they relate to. In these four chariots, beginning with chapter 6, verse 1, We'll start out and take it verse by verse and then try to point out some details as we go along. Verse 1, it says, And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. Then he starts in verse 2 to tell us about these chariots. First of all, he looked and he beheld these four chariots. And he tells what kind of horses in verse 2 and 3. We're drawing these four chariots. When we think of uh, between the two mountains, actually the uh, two mountains here are of brass, and brass from among these uh, two mountains, the brass is a symbol really of judgment. So we see judgment coming between these two mountains. Actually, the two mountains... Uh, may refer to Mount Moriah and Mount of Olives, and then the, these chariots rush through the valley of Jehoshaphat between. And the brass also speaks of the firmness and stability which shall never be moved. We know the Mount of Olives and Mount Moriah will stand, and Jesus is coming again. In fact, he tells us that he shall stand with his feet upon uh, the Mount of Olives. And that's in 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And it tells about what's going to happen at the Lord's coming. But when we think of the four chariots coming, chariots in the Bible are symbol of angelic power. And though the chariots are mentioned, if you turn to uh, 
Psalm 68, verse 17, there's a whole number of scriptures we could give you, but Psalm 68, verse 17 says, The chariots of God are 20,000. I want you to notice this. Even thousands of angels. So when it speaks of the chariots of God, he's speaking of that which is under his control and power. And he says, even thousands of angels, the Lord is among them as in Sinai in his holy place. So just that one reference to show you what it means symbolically. Uh, Actually, the judgments that are about to come in the movement of these chariots, these four chariots, drawn by these different colored horses. We'll give you the meaning of those in a moment. But these are symbols of, of war and of judgment that will, uh, from among the four parts of the earth, and they're governed by Gentile powers, and yet we find that uh, the chariots move at God's command, and God is able to command and execute judgment in the four quarters of the earth, and even use nations and people to bring that judgment. It's not as if the angels come down and bring this judgment in these four chariots or uh, angelic power. But they, they do answer to the fact that God is in control of it all and sovereign. And in His providence, He uses sometimes wicked nations or other nations, I'll put it this way, to execute judgment upon uh, those that would destroy His people and come against uh, Israel. And, of course, uh, we find that these uh, acts of divine angelic judgment against Israel are executed in the uh, permissive will and purpose of God. And that's what he does, is execute judgment. We'll find that uh, as we study these four chariots that are drawn by these different colored horses, that they are symbolical as well. So it says, And I turned and lifted up mine eyes, look at verse 1 again, and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between the two mountains, and the mountains were of brass. We said it already uh, indicates that brass is symbolical of judgment. And it says, In the first chariot were red horses, and in the second chariot black horses, and in the third chariot white horses, and in the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses. This may remind us of the earlier vision in uh, chapter 1 where you had grizzled or speckled horses, it's called back there. Uh, These horses represent certain things. The red horse, of course, symbolizes war and bloodshed and carnage. The red horse. And then the black horse is sorrow and mourning. And the white horses uh, implying joy and victory. And the grizzled and bay corresponding with the speckled in, that you find in chapter 1, verse 8. And th- this may be uh, prosperity and adversity mixed together. You have all these various factions or separations. And these proceed with chariot speed at the Lord's command to do His will and to bring judgment on the greater part of the earth. So let's begin reading with verse 2 again. It says, In the first chariot were red horses, and in the second chariot black horses. If you want to turn to... And the third chariot uh, white horses, and in the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses. If you want to turn over to... uh, Revelation chapter uh, 6, verse 4 and 5. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 6, if you will. You'll find in the beginning of the tribulation, there are going to be these horses that come forth. Let's, let's begin reading with verse 1. It would be better. It says, 
in chapter 6 of Revelation, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. That's symbolical of judgment coming. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Now here you had a white horse, and he sat. He that sat on him had a bow. We, we're not told about those in, in Zechariah that, of their riders. We're just told of the chariots, aren't we? But here we're told of the riders upon these individual horses instead of horses that are hooked up to chariots. I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that uh, sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, we know that uh, a bow speaks of warfare, but it's, uh, he didn't doesn't say he uh, had an arrow. doesn't say that it shows that he's, it's symbolical of uh, warfare, and yet he conquers uh, through... Uh, it's a bloodless conquest is what we're trying to say. And then in verse 3 it says, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And here you come war. And he takes away the false beast that's established by this first rider. And power is given to him to set thereon to take peace from the earth. So evidently peace was accomplished with the first one, or at least a false peace or a temporary. And they, And they that they should kill one another, and there was given him unto him a great sword. So that's symbolical of the war. And when he had opened the third seal, this verse 5, I heard the beast say, Come and see, and I beheld in low a black horse. You know, war brings famine, doesn't it? After the war. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And we won't have time to expound all that. I just wanted to get to the fourth one. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a, a pale horse. And, of course, this is symbolical of death. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. And power was given to him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and hunger with death and with the beasts of the earth. And so you have horses there that rep- are representative of what is going to take place in the book of Revelation. But you get back to the book of Zechariah now, chapter 6, and it says in verse 4, Then I answered, this is a Zechariah answering, Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Here you have a word from uh, Zechariah saying, Wanting to know what these are, what these represent. It shows that even the prophets were willing to be taught and understand the things of God. You know, sometimes we think that we know it all. Well, they didn't know it all. And certainly we shouldn't think we do. In fact, you read in the book of First uh, Peter chapter 1 where it says that the, the prophets of old, they were searching, listen carefully, what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them did signify, signify beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So they were searching what, in what manner of time, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that was in them, did signify beforehand, that's when they wrote these prophets, what, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So though they wrote it down, all the while Zechariah was writing it down, he said, what are these? He said, I want to know what I'm writing. I'd like to know what you're giving me in this vision. And the Lord gives him at least a somewhat of an explanation, doesn't he? 
we find that many times the prophets prophesied of things that they did not fully understand. And you read that passage I gave you in Second Peter, I believe it drops down to about verse maybe 11 or 12. I mean, First Peter chapter 1. Let's see, I'll get it for you. I hate to quote. Yeah, 11. Okay, it says, First Peter chapter 1, verse 11, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but to us, they did minister the things. They ministered the things which are now reported uh, unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you by the, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So finally, the New Testament apostles were preaching the things that the prophets had foretold and fulfilling those things and expounding those things. So back in Zechariah chapter 6, verse uh, 4, it says, Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. These come from heaven. These are under the direct control of God's power. And though God would permit these, this destruction, this war, and uh, these things to take place, it's still under His divine control. Though whatever nations and people may be used uh, in bringing such a judgment, as we'll find in the book of Revelation when judgment comes upon the Gentile powers round about uh, Israel. And when we start studying, we'll find that there was the north country and the south and the other parts of the where the bay horses went in every direction to consume and uh, the wicked powers that would come against his people. And so we'll find that he says, these are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. Now, who stands before the Lord of all the earth? All of his angelic beings that are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall for those who shall be heirs of salvation. He maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And so they, these uh, four spirits of the heavens are spoken of. If you look to Psalm 104 verse 4. Psalm 104 and verse 4. Notice it says uh, verse 3 well, verse 4 is the one we want. It says, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. And Paul quotes that in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And he speaks of the angels. Of the angels he saith. In Hebrews chapter 1. So if you turn over there, you'll find much the same thing. In fact, it's a quote from that psalm, I believe. In verse 7, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But under the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. He goes on to say, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. He goes on to say, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same. 
and thy years shall not fail. Then he goes on to say about the angels. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And so we find that uh, the, the angels are spoken of in that sense of the word. Now back in Zechariah chapter 6, he says uh, in verse 5, The angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. Remember when the temptation came to Job or the trials came to Job back in the first chapter of the book of Job? It says that when the sons of God appeared before God, it says that Satan appeared also to accuse Job, you know, the great accuser. And uh, you read the story there and you'll find that uh, there were the presence of God's angels in his presence, but there was also Satan's powers that came up to accuse uh, poor old Job and cause him a lot of trouble. Now look at verse 6. It says, The black horses which are therein go forth. Now, did we give you a definition? We said the, black, the, the red horses symbolize war and bloodshed. The black horses symbolize sorrow and mourning. And the white horses imply joy and victory. And the grizzled and bay corresponds with the speckled horses of Prosperity and adversity mixed. And you'll find that in Zechariah 1 verse 8 where you have the speckled. And here it's called the grizzled and the bay. But let's look at the one we find in verse 6. The black horses which are therein go forth into the north country and the white go forth after them. So you have the north country. These four spirits of the heavens working through nations or armies here upon the earth, go forth to the north country, would be Babylon, and all the uh, forces of the north. I'm not convinced by what it includes uh, Russia and some of the others that we will find in prophecy referring, referred to in the book of Revelation and especially in the book of Ezekiel. But anyway, they're going to be uh, taking care of the northern part. And then the south would refer to Egypt when we find the ones going to the south. Then we have going the bay horses going both directions to take care of uh, those in east and west, or uh, we'd say probably the eastern uh, nations that would come against God's people. And then, of course, you have the, the fact that uh, the white horses follow the black going to the north country, probably taking care of... Uh, the Medes and the Persians in the Old Testament days, but in the future time we'll find that there are other nations that will be in harmony with the, what's represented by the Babylonians. So you have all directions, the north and the south. You have Babylon and Egypt. You have uh, the countries of the east will be taken care of because if you'll notice in verse uh, 7 it says, And the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. So they go every direction. So let's read all that in the context that I've been trying to give you a little bit of it. Let's begin reading again. And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So he's saying that these will go forth. And I want you to notice something that uh, the book of Revelation shows these spirits that will be held back for a period of time from doing their judgments. Look in Revelation, I believe it's chapter, let's see if it's 7. Revelation chapter 7. 
just as judgment was about to come through all of this that was spoken of in chapter 6, but in chapter 7, you'll find divine judgment is restrained for a while. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So the judgment was restrained until God's people were sealed in the book of Revelation. And we'll read about that when we come to the twelve tribes, twelve thousand out of every twelve tribes of, of Israel. There's going to be a sealing so that they will be protected during that time of judgment when these four winds are turned loose. And so notice there was restraint of judgment here. Divine judgment is restrained. And you read that in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, saying, Hurt not the earth nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And then after the sealing is done, well, he turns the judgment loose upon the earth. Well, back here in the book of Zechariah, you have these four spirits that are spoken of in verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. And then it seems here that the judgment is turned loose. The black horses which are therein go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them to wipe up all that's left. And the grizzled go forth toward the south country, that would be toward Egypt. And the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. Now, let's notice what it says here. And he said, Get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then cried he upon me and said unto me, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. They had accomplished what God had intended for them to do. Look in Jeremiah, I believe it is, chapter 1, verse 18. Jeremiah, chapter 1, and verse 18. Well, let's, let's read verse, let's start with verse um, 15. Verse 15 would be better. Well, verse 14. I'll finally get back far enough to give you the whole story. Look at verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth. See? Talking about the north again. Upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord. He's going to call His people all back together. And they shall come and they shall set everyone on His throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem and against all the walls thereof round about and against the cities of Judah, And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins, and arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city, and an iron pillar, and brazen walls, there's the walls, against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and against the princes thereof and against the priests thereof and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. 
So Jeremiah speaks of the north country, and he also speaks of brazen walls that we referred to as symbolical of judgment. Now then, back in uh, Zechariah, hold your place there. And let's read this again and come on down. Begin with verse 6 again. It says, The black horses which are therein go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them, you see, and the grizzle go forth toward the south country. And look, and the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro, see, through the earth. And he said, Get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then cried he upon me, and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. So you see, God's purpose was accomplished through these four different chariots with their various horses to go forth like an army and bring about uh, protection for his own people and yet destruction for all around about. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the future too. Then cried, well, in verse 9 now. We come in verse 9 through 15 to the crowning of the high priest. I don't know if we'll have time to finish this part or not, but I'd like to get into it at least. Beginning with verse 9, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of them of the captivity, even Heldeah of Tobijah and Jedidiah, which are come from Babylon, and come thou the same day, and go into the house of Josiah the son of Zephaniah. Then take silver and gold, and make crowns, and set them upon the head of Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest. Now, before we go into the crowning of this high priest, let's consider something here. Joshua the high priest is a symbolical crowning because when you get to verse 12, when you get to verse 12, you'll see that there's a a future one to be crowned that's greater than Joshua the high priest. So in verse 12 it says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he's the one that's going to really be crowned in the future time. Now, this double crowning symbolizes the true priesthood and kingly reign of the Messiah that is to come to be placed on the head of Christ, who is a symbol of the great high priest. So this Joshua, the high priest then, the son of Josedek, is only symbolical of the one that's called in verse 12, the branch. We have a lot of references in the Scripture, so we can see that this is his symbolical crowning. Uh, verse 9, of first of all, says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... So this is uh, reasserts that Zechariah's claim to be speaking and writing the word of the Lord as a prophet of God is affirmed. Remember in the book of Second Peter chapter 1, it tells us that uh, the prophets spake not in time past by the will of man, but holy men of God, listen, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And it says, prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but it tells us that it, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You'll find that in Second Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. And this double crowning symbolizes the true priesthood and kingly priesthood of Christ, the Messiah. He was to be placed on the head of Joshua, the high priest, 
in that day, but it's symbolical of the one we'll find in verse 12. And we'll talk about the branch in a little bit in our lesson. In verse 10, calls upon Zephaniah to take these three returned men of the captivity in Babylon and to enter into the house of Josiah, the son of Jephaniah. These three former Hebrew exiles were Hedai, which means robust, Heldai, and Tobai, which means the goodness of God, and Jedidai, which means God knows. And so these three are spoken of to be taken from those that are taken captive, and it was to take from them silver and gold and make crowns. Not from them, but to take, in verse 11, silver and gold and make crowns, and set upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek. We know when Jesus comes that He will have many crowns. The Old Testament priest, high priest, wore a holy crown or a golden plate upon his forefront above the mitre. Look in Leviticus 8, verse 9. Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 9. And you'll see where the, the priest was crowned. And how it was placed upon him. The mitre it's called. Leviticus chapter 8. And verse 9 says, And he put the mitre upon his head. Also upon the mitre, even upon the forefront, did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he had the various attire of the priest for Aaron and for his sons that were given. And it's speaking of the mitre that was put upon his forehead. And so back in Zechariah, we'll find that uh, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, had this attire put upon him. But when Jesus comes, as King of kings and Lord of lords, he'll have a double crown too. He'll represent not only the priest, but he'll represent his kingly power. Both of these powers will be combined, but he will have... Many crowns. Upon his head will be many crowns. Revelation 19, verse 12. If you care to turn to that one. Revelation 19, verse 12 says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That's referring to Christ as he comes in power and great glory. Let's see if we can get some other things that's very important about Christ. You know, he's not only coming as king of kings, but he will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He will come to restore the kingdom to Israel. And the Bible tells us of Christ in Luke's gospel at the announcement of his birth. That it, let me read this for you in Luke chapter 1. That he will sit upon the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Luke 1 verse uh, 31 and 32, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Isn't it convenient that Joshua in the Old Testament is also symbolical and typical? So even the very name of the one that's crowned in the book of Zechariah indicates Jesus in the New Testament. It says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God... shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Let's go and read. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So he's going to reign, reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 12 in Zechariah. You have Zechariah. 
verse 12, he's speaking of the returned exiles from Babylon. And he's also speaking of the fact that uh, the branch is spoken of here. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and this is used to symbolize Jesus Christ. The term of the branch is used in four ways concerning Christ. Let me give you all four of them, and then we'll come back and talk about them. First, the branch of Jehovah, and then the branch of David, and then Jehovah's servant is called the branch. We'll give you some references in a moment. And the man whose name is the branch. So all four of these, the branch of Jehovah, the branch of David, Jehovah's servant, the branch, and the man whose name is the branch. First of all, the branch of Jehovah is seen in his uh, Emmanuel character. He is God with us. Remember uh, Isaiah 4, verse 2. Let me read Isaiah 4. Is it 4 and verse 2? Maybe I don't have the right reference. Yes. Yeah. Isaiah 4, verse 2 says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be uh, excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. So he's spoken of here as being beautiful and glorious. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 7, verse 14, that the Christ is to be born, thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which shows his divine character, the branch of Jehovah. And then the branch of David is of the royal seed of David. Look in Isaiah 11 and verse 1. Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So this is the branch of David. He's of the royal seed and lineage of David. He's not only the branch of Jehovah in his Emmanuel character, but of the royal seed line, a lineage of David. Remember Paul says in the book of Romans 1 verse 3 says concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh Romans 1 3 and then verse 4 he says and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead so you have his humanity spoken of in verse 3 and his deity spoken of in verse 4 golly I hope they didn't blow up something down the stairs the floor shook anyway. <laughs> but anyway, that's young people for you. So uh, you find also in Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. And we'll see what we see here. 23, verse 5. Notice it says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise, a, raise unto David a righteous branch. Who? Unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Also, Jeremiah 33 and verse 15. It says, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So all these refer to David. And it's referring to Christ of the seed of David, the royal seed of the lineage of David. And then... There's Jehovah's servant, servant the branch, the third one, Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, look at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, and he's God's servant. He shall be exalted and extolled very high. We could go on and talk about Christ being the servant, the divine servant. In the New Testament, what would you find referring to Christ as a servant? Book of Philippians chapter 5, 
chapter uh, 2, verse 5, I believe it is, when it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And listen, here's the servant. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jehovah's servant, the branch, is seen in humiliation and in obedience and even unto death. And then the last one, the man whose name is the branch. Here in Zechariah chapter 6, look at it again. The man he's speaking of. Zechariah chapter 6. And let's read verse 12 again. And speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man. You know, that's exactly what Pilate said about Jesus, wasn't it? Behold the man, whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he is spoken of as he. He's spoken of as a man. In verse 13 it says, And he shall bear the glory, and shall sit up and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the counsel of the peace of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be, speaking of the crowns, it will be upon him. Verse down in 15, And they that are far off shall come to build in the temple of the Lord. They did in the old days, but Christ is going to be the builder of the temple in the future. So, in these four aspects, you see Christ as the branch. The branch of Jehovah, speaking of His Emmanuel character. The branch of David, the royal seed of the lineage of David. And then the uh, branch, the servant branch, Jehovah's servant branch. You see Him in a humiliation and obedience. And the man whose name is the branch. And you see in His character there the Son of Man. Behold the man. Let me give you quickly, I'd like to give you this before we close. In the Gospel, you find all of these things true in each and every Gospel. Look at it now. In Matthew's Gospel is the branch of David in Matthew's Gospel. In Mark's Gospel is the branch of Jehovah's servant. In Luke's Gospel, you have the man. And in John's Gospel, the branch Jehovah. Remember when we were teaching the Gospels and how we pointed out that that in Matthew's Gospel... How does it begin? The book of the generation, Jesus Christ, the son of uh, David, the son of Abraham. It starts out the son of David, doesn't it? We know that Matthew's gospel is the kingly gospel. And it tells us where he came from. In Mark's gospel, when we talk about the servant, remember as we studied Mark's gospel, one thing right after the other, Jesus did. It says in straightway and forthwith, he did so and so. It shows him at work. And in Luke's Gospel, you have the Son of Man. You have him, His manhood spoken of. Dealt with so many times. In fact, that's His favorite title in the Gospel of Luke. And in John's Gospel, you have Jehovah. What do you have? You have Jehovah, God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We could elaborate in many uh, respects upon this, but let me just give you four things about these Gospels. And let's try to sum it up in this way. Matthew's Gospel, you have the genealogy, do you not? 
because he's presented as king. And you know, you want to know where a king comes from. In Mark's gospel, you do not have 